Anna, who's your favorite congressperson? Too long. It's Lauren Underwood. Anthony, who's yours? John Ossoff. August Pfluger, wrong. And mine, as we know, is the gentleman from Massachusetts, Seth Moulton. What do they all have in common? They are under 45 years old and in Congress. And what do we have in common? We have cocktails in hand, and we're talking politics. This is Political Playlist Happy Hour. Roll credits. You are the political revolution of the millennials. Welcome to Political Playlist. All right, are you ready, guys? Happy Hour. Happy, Happy Hour. hour. <laughs> you that up so oh, bad. God. oh, yes, I'm recording. Oh, thank God. And I'm in gallery mode. Oh, Two for two, everybody. No, welcome. Not gallery mode, speaker mode. No, the speaker mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, 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 same. Whatever. Same, same. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour. I'm Michael Kristoff. I'm Anna Muskie Goldwyn. And I'm Anthony Barcat. And oh as you God. can see, we do lead off every episode with a bit of housekeeping, i.e., I still don't know how to work Zoom. Uh, Anthony is pissing off Anna, and Anna uh, just took a fitness class. So, you know, all I taught is a, a fitness class. Thought, excuse me, excuse me. Yes, come uh, on. Now she's having a cheeky natural wine. Am I right? Um, it's actually not natural, but it is Ooh. Spanish. Mm. How changing it up? What is it? Iberino? Mm. Alvarino. Alvarino. <laughs> Al- alpaca. <laughs> what is it? Alpaca. What's an alperino? Uh, like a pinot, a Spanish pinot grigio. It's like a little bit, it's a little bit more biting than a Pinot Grigio, but Mm -hmm, similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of somewhere between a Pinot Grigio and a Sauvignon Blanc, I would say. Uh, Well, I have a Manhattan. But actually, um, uh, PSA, there's a Mm. like $14 Albarino at Whole Foods that I really like. So if Mm. you go to Whole Foods, it has like a blue, green, yellow label and it's an Albarino and it's very affordable and it's really good. Well, some of us are on strike and can't afford to go to Whole Foods, Anna. So oh what do you recommend for that? All right. All right. There's I am a seven dollar Pinot Grigio. I am on strike, there. which is why I'm recommending <laughs> the inexpensive wine. Yes. Sorry, I don't drink two buck chuck. Okay. And Anthony has uh Anthony has recently rallied the uh good workers overseas of his travels. Always. Yeah. Saw, you know, oh my he's gosh. A, he's a French union leader. Yeah, that's just Way. yeah, Anthony. Way. The French they love a grev. They love a grev. Merci beaucoup. What's a grev? It's the French word for strike. Oh, that's it. So, Puerta. is that the Spanish word for strike? Yes. Oh well, yeah. Wow. The French. Okay. Il adore un grev. Well, speaking of strikes, we have a particular GOP presidential frontrunner. Who seems to be protesting or picketing uh, this week's upcoming, the first of potentially three GOP presidential debates. Of course, we're talking about Le Donald Orange Trump. Uh, Guys, we have the first (laughs) presidential. Orange. Uh, We have the first presidential uh, GOP debate coming up here. And I think this is worth just chatting about a little bit. Just to mention. Uh, We've got a lot of candidates. It's kind of reminiscent of uh, 2016. uh, And 2020 for the. Yeah. And for for the. You're right. You're right. Um, So uh, can you guys kind of set the stage here a little bit? What are we walking into here um, Democrats are obviously starting to pop the popcorn. Um, what's the deal? What's going on here? 
Well, like you said, Trump is not attending, which I don't think surprises anybody. But this is basically like the. Can you guys hear my dogs barking? Mm hmm. <sighs> Sorry. And that means so can our listener go on. It's yeah. You know what? It just adds some flavor. Yeah. By the way, that's what the debate is going to sound like. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <Those> um, crickets. <laughs> no, just a bunch of dogs barking at oh. each other. Oh, um, that's good. I get, it. I get it. Yeah. No, so but this is like the chance for someone to stand out and prove themselves. And hmm. you know, I think that this is also the chance for Ron DeSantis to maybe dig his own grave. Ron DeSantis. Because he is not a charming guy. I just no. gotta say that. And no, he is not. Um I'm personally looking forward to seeing what Tim Scott pulls out. Mm, I think that yeah. he actually is the most like best storyteller kind of yep. has the best background. I feel like has the chops is, is, you know, aligned with Trump, but is a little bit less um, testy, if you will. But my one comment, and then I'll throw this to Anthony is freaking Vivek Ramaswamy. <laughs> I, this guy like can we can we save him for a sec okay fine because i want to hear anthony's take on the debate and then we'll go through some of the players okay yeah no i agree with you anna um i mean hopefully desantis wears his uh white cowboy boots (laughs) to this Um, i think that would actually get him points (laughs) but um i'm I'm excited to see how nikki haley does Mm. i think she'll be kind of one of the top I think she's a good debater. She's not going to be the one barking too much, but she'll be the stern. Mm, brought it back you know. to the dogs. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Brought it back to the dog, back to the dogs who let the dogs out. <laughs> oh, Fox news um, did. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I heard some interesting stuff on the democratic side today mm. before, um, before we get off this topic about what might happen with the uh, Biden Harris ticket. Oh, okay. Well, let me give you my some news. Let me give you my sort of take here Mm. that I think um, is interesting here. You know, as far as GOP presidential politics goes, I think that the national polls are to be looked at a little bit. But really, the polls that you want to look at are the polls that are going to be coming out of Iowa and New Hampshire. And all early indications from those polls suggest that these voters in those two states and, you know, potentially GOP voters writ large are very much open to new candidates. So we can talk about like whether we think it's a good idea or not a good idea for Trump to skip these. But I think that definitely Tim Scott, Anna, has the most interesting story to tell as far as a GOP Mm -hmm. uh, candidate. And I think Anthony Nikki Haley is going to be very interesting to watch as far as I think a lot of people don't necessarily know her still, even though she was a prominent um, ambassador to the U.N. um, I I don't think a lot of people know her. And I think plenty of people know uh, Mike Pence. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think people are definitely interested to see what Chris Christie does. Um, Yeah. And another one who I think will be interesting is Doug Burgum, who is the billionaire governor of North Dakota. Mm. And I think that he is somebody who has the potential to be a really interesting candidate, though. I think his message. Why do you think that? I don't know that much about him. Well, Well, he's a billionaire. He's a billionaire. As we've Um, we've established off camera, Anthony is 
obsessed with billionaires. You know, he created a a tech company and based it in North Dakota and has been a big jobs creator and has potentially a very strong um, conservative economic message to make. Yeah. Um, And I think that, you know, there is always something interesting about these governors. Um, I think it's crazy that we have so many governors running for. I think that's uh, good. You mm-hmm. know uh, the the Actually. ticket here, but I think that you know he is a very um, classic conservative, Doug Burgum, and um, you know I think that the where he started to fall short is that he has not been ready for prime time, so to mm. speak, and he seems to be very much auditioning for a cabinet position rather than mm. actually running for yeah. president. Mm. Um, which takes us to our man, our shirtless man on court Jesus number Christ. three, playing tennis as a warm-up debate. Anna, talk to us about our man Vivek here. So Vivek Ramaswamy is a 38-year-old tech billionaire. Anthony, yep. you want to go be friends with him? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this guy, I just there's a couple things. One, what I personally am not a fan of him because... He's a 38-year-old who wants to raise the voting age in yeah. the United States instead of making it easier for young people to get involved in government. He wants to make it harder. Does he want to make and, it 25? Set the voting yeah. age at like 25? Yeah. Literally, you can't vote until you yeah. can rent a car. <laughs> Crazy. Insane. So so that's number one. But the other thing is like, and excuse my French here, but mm. he's turning the presidential nomination into like a full-on dick measuring contest mm-hmm. posing videos of him playing tennis as his quote-unquote debate prep shirtless and looking like he's trying to be like andre agassi or something and this is for him i feel i've, I've never heard and, of other world leaders doing this around the world either yeah like vladimir okay, putin fine, riding shirtless fine. on a horse <laughs> well exactly but that's my point yeah. exactly is like this to me doesn't tell me anything other than you're an egomaniac and we have enough of those and you can go own your private industry. But, and again, like I understand generally politics is a dick measuring contest and that's okay. But I just feel like, I think maybe I'm particularly disappointed because I was excited that there was like a young Republican Mm -hmm. entering the race and to see, okay, well, what is this? (laughs) <laughs> a nice a nice hard body um, entering the race some tennis pecs yeah um but to no see, but like, i, I okay, get what that. is this young person gonna bring to the table and are they gonna bring new ideas are they gonna and it honestly feels like his ideas are even more antiquated than some of his cohorts and like he's a minority he's a self-made you know he's self-made there's all these things about him that i feel like right could contribute to be a really interesting candidate who has something different to say. And I just feel like he's trying to do everything possible to be as like inflammatory and sort of like viral as he can, which unfortunately is a tactic that we obviously know can work, but I'm curious to see how he's going to perform on the debate stage against people like Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and Chris Christie and people who like really know their shit. Well, um, and Ron DeSantis, who if if this leaked debate prep memo from his super PAC is to be believed, mm-hmm. his main target is go to after go after him. Vivek. Yeah. I mean, really? honestly, that's wow, yeah, I didn't see that. Talk about a dick measuring contest. 
White there was boots a versus uh, shirtless. Yeah, Anthony. There was a um, there was a memo released by his super PAC, which the thinking is that it was accidentally released. And basically, it said, <laughs> I always love that. Yeah. Oh, shit. It was They're accidentally like, we posted released the again. link to Facebook. Oh, we were supposed to God. do it to the encrypted Sorry. Dropbox. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, the it, it laid out the debate plan for Ron DeSantis. And it was like, remind them how likable you are. Go after Biden, defend Trump, defend him against Christie and attack, attack, attack Vivek. Like they were most wow. worried yeah. about this. Wow. Yeah. Major, so, well thought out talking well, points. I, I guess yeah. I, I guess the last thing, and, and we'll wrap this up here a little bit, but you know, what does this say about the relevancy of debates? Do you think that the GOP frontrunner by a mile is not attending, doesn't feel the need to attend, and nobody seems to really like be be doing didn't, anything yeah. about it. Didn't Trump do this before? I mean, well, there is, of course. Biden. He said he wasn't going to debate Biden, and then right. he did. Yeah, um, but he but, was almost forced to. There were but less I don't debates. Know, like, and... I look. Do I think Trump's going to get the nomination? Yes, but wow. I also think. Wow, hot take right here man. first. Hot take. Wow. Okay. But I also think that I do think that there's validity in debates because I think we live in a world of sound bites now. And I think mm -hmm. debates are like a perfect stage, literally, in which to deliver effective sound bites. And that's it's what I wrote about in the newsletter today. That I think like what people should be looking out for as they watch is mm -hmm. what what policies are people actually talking about? Are they talking about like culture wars? Or to your point about the North Dakota Doug Burgum, right? That's yep. the name. Um, are they trying to send in more economic message, which is a more winning message with independent voters for Republicans than talking about abortion? So I think it's just going to be interesting to see like where the conversation goes. And frankly, I think it's going to be a more effective debate without Trump. Yeah. And, you know, we'll actually get to see like what are some of the other ideas coming out of the Republican Party? Because I don't think that any of these people are going to steamroll each other. I think that they're all going to have their own lane in which to speak. And it actually will kind of emulate the, the kind of debate that we're used to. You okay, know, can I give you the food for thought on the Democratic side that I heard today? Yeah, Ooh, please. Yeah. Mm. All on. right, here we go. Uh, Democratic ticket. Biden. Kamala is going to take the Senate seat of Dianne Feinstein. And <laughs> okay. uh, Newsom is going to be the VP. Yeah. At, and then uh, Biden is going to resign. Step down. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. Is this then, just like a then, theory or did you hear this from valid sources? I may have heard this from a couple of valid sources. Wow. So would this be, would this be Diane Feinstein was, steps down? I was down. saying Newsom looked kind of presidential talking a, about our appointed, hurricane. Will be appointed by Newsom. Newsom appoints Kamala. And then, then at, the, vac at, the vice presidency is vacant. Yeah. Okay. Can that happen like legally? I, I well, I think you would have to be voted in at the convention. Well, no, the wow. you can you no 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 no. We no. need a constitutional There's, scholar on here. To we tell do, us and actually, the next work. episode we'll follow this up. But yeah. you can a president a vice president can resign because um, that is how Gerald Ford 
became vice president to Nixon and then ultimately president when Nixon resigned. Ford was not on the initial ticket. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, Nixon had a um, had a vice president who resigned um, whose name I'm blanking on, but all right, well, we're going to get a constitutional will, expert yeah. to explain to us how this could happen because um, I'm very interested in this theory. Yeah. Um, well, Let's this is this is great. This is we'll we're going to revisit this next week. I yeah. Think. Yeah. We are. Um, so, all right. Who wants to start us off here? I have a pretty good one. Speaking of Biden. Go ahead. Um, right. Fine. So, uh, OK, here we go. Um. Oh, by the way, the vice president was Spiro Agnew. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pull that. that out of left field. That's like, <laughs> I feel like my like AP US history brain. Yeah, just, it was like, like oh, yeah, right. Here. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, here we go. We're going to China. As Mike Xi Gallagher. Jinping. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Is you it? know, listen. <laughs> Okay, I I picked the easy ones because I know sometimes you two don't always get to the major news. Yeah, we're we're the well, I just want to make sure that you are that you have a chance. Okay, okay, so as Xi Jinping confronts the near term economic issues, but really those looming demographic issues that could actually make him more aggressive in the near term. So this was. This was Congressman Mike Gallagher, who was tweeting out through his select China committee. Mm-hmm. Um, he did. He was doing the hits on on Friday and he was doing the hits because there was something going on at Camp David. Do you guys know what that mm-hmm. was? Yeah. Okay. The Japanese and exactly. South Korean prime minister met with Biden. It was big. So deal. for the first time ever, the prime minister of Japan and the president of South Korea met with the U.S. president, Biden, at Camp David. And basically why this is significant is each of those are our individual allies. But going back to uh, AP history, um, Japan occupied Korea leading up for about 35 years, pretty brutally, in fact, uh, leading up to World War II. So there was pretty historic animosity between these two uh, countries. And basically, uh, while we were allies with each of them individually, they did not get along. So this is a major step as far as the U.S. creating this, you know, Indo-Pacific alliance here. And this is, you know, of course, you know, everyone and, and the Biden administration is saying, oh, no, we weren't trying to antagonize China. But of course, this is only being viewed as an escalation of Chinese tensions here. Mm. And Mike Gallagher actually complimented the Biden administration, saying this is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, He kind of applauded the move and went on to say that we need to do this, this and this to take it further. But I guess my first question to you guys is, what do you think do you think any other Republicans are going to kind of support this publicly? And do you think this maybe opens or or paves the way for some future bipartisan uh, policy and legislation on on this front? I think that it should. I think this is like an issue that should unite us. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm hesitant to say that that'll happen. So I don't think it's going to happen until after the 2024 election. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this is a good opportunity to pick and kind of mention, you know, bring up the tension in Asia right now. But it's always tough when uh, the president entertain, and I'm I'm referring to prior presidents as well when they entertain mm-hmm. some of these world leaders, and you're like, what are they supposed to do? Yeah. I mean, we talked about this with Prime Minister uh, of India when yeah. he came, and you're kind of like, you know, what? And it 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 puts everyone in a weird spot, but of, of course, you have to have them. But I also well, think I think this one is specifically interesting because I feel like sure. when India came, it was more like we. First of all, it was it was a state visit in Washington. Everything that I was reading was saying like no one has been to Camp David in a long time. And Camp mm-hmm. David has this more casual feel. It's more kind of like the president welcoming them into like a sort of private residence kind of a vibe. It's like more intimate. And I think that the with camp. India- We're going camping. We're going camping. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because I actually think that the visit with India had a very similar purpose, was which mm-hmm. was how do we maintain diplomatic relations in Asia to ensure that we're all on the same page and China does not, um, specifically with India, kind of like infiltrate that economy first. And I think that with South Korea and Japan, it's saying you guys got to get along because if you don't get along, then we don't have a united front against China. So, yeah. well, I think- it, and let me let me give you a couple specifics about what this actually is going to entail. So mm-hmm. they are now basically creating three way joint military exercises, which has never been mm-hmm. done before. So mm-hmm. now South Korea and Japan are going to be doing military exercises with the U.S. Um, they've established a sort of, you know, three way hotline. Um, with direct military communication, basically they've they've put the three of them in lockstep, just short of Title Five of NATO, which means that you attack one, you attack all. But mm-hmm. this is more or less bringing it to that. Um, and basically, they're also going to be increasing missile defense systems for these two places. So. It, it's a significant escalation. And Anna, to your point, this is the first um, one of these that Biden has done at Camp David. So it, it's very significant. Um, you know, their Camp David is sort of the ceremonial place in, in many regards. By the way, fun fact, do you know what Camp David is named after? No, I was literally just about to yeah. ask this. OK, so this is sort of fun. So. Under FDR and Truman, it was referred to as Shangri-La. I think the technical mm-hmm. name. Oh, and is then something they were like, like "It's too far." Well, right? wasn't well, it like they were like, "Oh, it's not American." No, enough? no, no, no. So oh, then, um, under Eisenhower, he decided to name it after his grandson, David Eisenhower. And this was actually a controversy at the time because yeah, Democrats were all pissed that it was being named after a Republican. So this like caused kind of a stir. Well, we don't know if his grandson was a Republican. He was a child. Uh, well, he he is currently a Republican. But also, um, also, I was like, I think we're just so used to the name Camp David. Yeah, it doesn't sound but weird. Yeah, David but like, Eisenhower. Hey, it is Camp, weird. Camp Anthony sounds creepy. Mm-hmm. Camp Michael, a little creepy. Camp, Camp Anna, Anna sounds great. My, yeah, I think it kind of works. <laughs> I think the so technical good. name is like the technical name is like. Ford Naval 
operating f- like Fremont or something like yeah. so it has some like really long name. Oh. Um, um yeah. okay, wait, can like, I move on because I'm taking I, your well well, yeah, let, let me just let me just make one well. let me just make one more thing on China, which I thought was interesting that Mike was saying, China. which is that um, he is predicting that Xi Jinping is going to be his most aggressive with respect to Taiwan in the next five years. And he's basing this on the fact that China has a horrible economy right now, which they're not letting on to. And mm-hmm. this like dire um demographic issue which is they are like have a rapid population decline and like a serious fertility issue so he's thinking that in the next five years is the window when we have to really combat china militarily and so this you know beefing up of alliance seems to seems to uh help counteract that well all i'll say is that i think having Republicans like Mike Gallagher um, in the opposition to the White House is a very good thing because I think that he is genuinely trying to like fight for uh, solutions. Yeah. Um, But we should reach out to him and get him on the pod. Yeah. So you mentioned NATO. Yes. I'm going to segue into NATO. Okay. Okay. And you guys are not going to get this one because oh, this is the person oh, who we have we go. never talked about before. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Germany mm. just announced they no longer plan to increase spending to meet NATO's minimum 2% pledge. The U.S. and our citizens are not the global piggy bank or global police to carry the burden of countries like Germany, France, and Italy who failed to meet the NATO requirements. Any nation who made a commitment as a NATO member should honor it or no longer be a member. Ooh. Well, hey, Republican. Side, yeah, Republican. But... Republican. He's from Florida. You're literally not going to get it because I don't think we've ever even spoken. Corey about Mills. <gasps> wow. You know Somebody's got a spreadsheet. You He's got a spreadsheet. spreadsheet. Out. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I was going to say Corey you Mills. Spreadsheet I, was, out. I, was I don't. Say Corey Mills. I don't. Yeah, but do. I am on. I'm sleep deprived, and that's when I do my best. <laughs> wow. So. Okay. Wow. Corey so, Mills. Corey who Mills the hell is, is freshman? Corey Mills. Right. So freshman Republican who we have we actually haven't discussed yet. Two for um, two, by the way. He's four. I, I gotta say, you're two for two. It, I don't like it. Congratulations. I don't like it. Um, he's 43 years old. He is a Republican. He's from Florida. He actually took over. The seat of Florida's seventh district, which do you know who represented it before? Steph Murphy. Steph Murphy. So you may recall Stephanie Murphy, who we previously covered, was a very centrist Democrat who decided not to run for election, partially because of redistricting. Her district got way more competitive and way more Republican, um, which is all to say that it's still not a solidly Republican district. Corey Mills won with 58% of the vote. So he won by a significant amount, but it wasn't like you know, in the 70%. Um, he's an army veteran. He was part of the, an airborne division and kind of an interesting post army career. He's worked for a bunch of big private defense companies mm. and other companies that have dealt with um, overseas military operations and global consulting. So he's very entrenched in the sort of international military world, both mm. private and public. And he actually f- co-founded his own private security company, um, which well, I wonder if they have any ties in Germany. Inter- yeah. Right. Like yeah. interesting things. Do they, to kind do of they think about. 
Yeah, like, do they make money if Germany's like spending more on this? Like, interesting. So, no. what he's and referring what was to? Was he talking about NATO? Yeah, right. Okay, now. so what he's referring to? This is interesting. I didn't know this, but basically, one of the things that you say if you are going to join NATO is that you will commit to spend two percent of your annual GDP on Correct. defense. And that was and the big thing Trump went after these guys for. So, what? So when? Um, Russia invaded Ukraine. Olaf Scholz, who is the chancellor of Germany, said it was, quote unquote, a new dawn in German Germany security policy. And very interestingly, the German military is a sore subject in that country yes. for obvious reasons. Yeah. So for a very long time, there was not an emphasis on military or defense in Germany in the post-World War II era. And that has continued until recently, as Russia became more of a threat, Germany Germany became the largest economy in Europe, and NATO basically saying, you need to commit more defense because we understand, sore subject, but now we're moving into the 21st century and you're an important military power. So when Russia invaded Ukraine, Olaf Scholz said, okay, we're going to up this, we're going to meet this pledge of 2% of our GDP spent on military every year. Recently, that was redacted. And mm. what they're saying now is that they're going to spend 2% of their, G of their GDP on average over five years. So meaning some years they can spend more, some years they can mm. spend less, which is very not what the mm. sort of edict of NATO yeah. says. So, and yeah. Germany is one of the countries that has been criticized in the past for not sticking to these NATO requirements on defense spending. So mm. what my question is to you guys, because I find this really interesting, is I feel like in America, specifically among conservatives, we're entering this era of pro-isolationism. And you mentioned Trump, this kind of like potentially anti-NATO or if not anti-NATO sort of anti-global leader world on the Republican yeah. side. And I'm curious if you think like a move like this from Germany, do you think that that kind of adds fuel to that fire by saying, well, they're not pulling their weights. So why should we be the global leader and basically picking up everybody's slack, which is kind of what Corey Mills is saying. I mean, uh, hey, yes. Yeah, yeah. Don't all talk at once. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, I, I think it was interesting. There was just an article in Sunday's New York times that was talking about how a lot of leaders in the European union are now confronting the very real possibility that we might see a, another president Trump and, and what that means for Europe and, and, and the EU and, and our alliances. And I think that, you know, it, it this sort of MAGA ideology, that became sort of so pervasive and and frankly i think misguided with respect to to that and and very antithetical of what traditional conservatism was with regard to our foreign policy and so i think that yes this is very much something that is 
you know, were we to return to that kind of a policy, I think these moves like Germany only give more ammunition to to our policymakers who are going to use it as reason why we shouldn't be sending more money to Ukraine, why we shouldn't be, you know, supporting NATO in the way that we do. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, going back to China and Taiwan and the contradiction of, okay, if that is really such a threat, then what we do in Europe, specifically with regard to Ukraine, which Mike Gallagher and and some uh, that we're going to see on the presidential debate stage on Wednesday have been saying, is that it is vital that we and our European allies and our, our allies around the world do as much as we can to support Ukraine and, and the, the fight for democratic preservation there because china is watching our every move and if we don't and and if the world doesn't they will take over taiwan and and they will and they their military i gotta believe is a hell of a lot more equipped and is learning every lesson that russia got wrong over the last year and a half yeah i agree i agree yeah, I I just kind of ooh. If I I think this have to pay two percent over you know uh the five over five years could be less or more but equivalent of two percent slippery slope. Mm -hmm. I think if we're gonna have these rules, people have to adhere by it. And with you with what happened to Ukraine this year more countries are going to want to join. We saw that with what Sweden and Finland you know, and Finland, uh, no. you know, so Hey, it, it like, this is, you know, the reason for these organizations and hopefully that they do something. It's generally shown that NATO hasn't done much, mm -hmm. you know, in the past. Right. Um, and I'm not equating that to budget or, or whatnot, but I think, is it, doesn't NATO have like the best pipe? I think they have their own pipelines because I'm in like now the oil pipelines or for, for gas transportation. Oh, interesting. Uh, really? I didn't I know. They, they're the owners of some of the largest like gas transportation in your Europe. Yeah, yeah. I feel like NATO is secretly um, like very. Well I have a off. friend <laughs> whose dad was a NATO commander. Well, do you oh, remember we we interviewed way back when uh, Wesley Clark Jr. I do, yeah, yeah. son yeah. of the NATO Supreme Commander. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty um, cool. Anyway, yeah. we're very well. I think you know. I think it's so interesting, Anna, because I think what we're seeing now more than ever, maybe, and I don't have stats to back this up, but it feels like foreign. Uh, events and foreign actions by other countries, legislatures such as this is now being used as domestic political ammunition. Yeah. Right. So those who believe in an isolationist policy are going to use this. You know, Germany's not pulling their weight, which we've seen. You know, we saw during the Trump administration that was a very effective talking point. And so I think. We're seeing that become domestic political ammunition much more than I feel like it ever has. And yeah, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that holds people accountable. I, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, my final word on it is like, I do think it's good to hold people accountable. I think mm -hmm. where it becomes a slippery slope is when that becomes reduced to sort of like political campaign slogans. 
So right. I thought this was interesting because I think like Corey Mills is someone who seems to me to have the resume to actually understand yeah. this world and what is happening. Um, but the way that he sort of phrased it is very much in the kind of um, isolationist, conservative, yeah. campaigny mm -hmm. language. And so it's kind of straddling the line of, I believe that this guy has a vested interest in making sure that this point gets across. Um, but we live in a world where to get the point across, sometimes you have to say it in a way that's a bit reductive. So, yeah. um, you know, we had never talked about him. He's very, I think, an interesting person to follow because of his defense background. Um, he's very pro-Trump. And uh, and the fact that he is in not a swing district, but a district that's a little bit split is also interesting. Yeah. Okay. Guess, oh, Anthony. Um, All right. Yeah. Um, Our man this, from Amsterdam. August um, Luger. <laughs> the start of school means reliable access to nutritious mm. food again Ooh. for kids across the nation. Without these meals on break, millions of children combat summer hunger. We need the Summer Meals Reach Act to help kids thrive and permanently expand summer meal access. I'm going to go with that, our man, Democrat. Morgan McGarvey, who we interviewed. Uh, uh, okay, so name? so he didn't listen to the know. interview. Got it. Okay. It's yeah. Not, it's okay. not him. Um, I think it's a Democrat. Mm. It a Democrat? Yeah, it's a Democrat. Um, By the way, can I just say, like, this is fucking sad. I'm sorry. I got to say know it's this a Democrat and they're that, like, talking about somebody children. trying to help fucking kids eat meals during school. Mm -hmm. We automatically are like, oh, that's a Democrat because Republicans don't spending, give a fuck. Michael, it's like, that spending. is bullshit. Every Republican. Um, can you give us a, a, a state? Um, I'm gonna I don't want to give you a state because okay. it'll give, give it away. Okay, so here, let me, let me give you a clue. I, this is I looked at so many politicians over the okay. last like 48 hours to see okay. some of their tweets and yeah. every side was bitching just yeah. bitching at each other yeah. and I was like what the where is something where, of substance where is something of substance and I go I know this person <gasps> probably has a okay. tweet okay. of substance is it Lauren Underwood it's not oh uh, that's a good guess though that's uh, a good guess oh, is man. it Think about uh, someone who is uh, who would pick up after you. Oh, Andy Kim. Andy Kim. Andy yeah. Kim. <laughs> Dude, Andy Kim is always good for like Just a fucking genuine tweet. Genuine. I was like, yes. he's got to have yes. something like decent on his <laughs> tweets. And it was, I like read his tweets and I was like, okay, I don't feel emotional or upset yeah. about anything. He's the bat. He's so good. I'm triggered. And yeah. I, so what I, is this summer school thing that he's proposing? Yeah. So I, I picked this because once again, like what Michael was saying, like it's such an easy thing. And once again, that helps like people here in our country. Mm -hmm. So this act was originally introduced in 2021 by him. It was passed in June of 2022, mainly focusing on the summer months. So mm -hmm. not while kids are in school. So he reintroduced this in June. Um, and basically what the act is pushing for more is like there were sort of requirements on on how this food was given. So many people had to like show up during certain hours and, and like stay there and eat the food. But basically 
The Summer Meals Act is asking for any school or community organization would be able to feed hungry children. Working parents would be able to pick up meals for their kids and get back to work during lunch break. Um, and then uh, community partners would be able to assist new agencies that were um, to increase the, the number of summer meals that were provided like statewide. The most important thing out of these three new bullets here is that parents were able to pick up like on like these grab and go style meals, hmm. which were never allowed. Hmm. And many people were against this because they were saying most people like they had to, it was better for them to stay and eat there. I know. I know this sounds weird. Wait. So, so just to clarify, this is obviously a federal bill because he's a federal politician. Yeah. So, right. so this is, this mm. would be implemented like through the department of education. I'm not uh, actually not sure on that. If it's through the department of education, but it's something nationwide. It was something nationwide and uh, New Jersey is, is trying to do this from just a state level as well. Yeah. So when they first started doing this, they were saying the average meal, like for the summer meals for the month of July, went from 2.6 million children to 5.5 million children in 20. Like, so it just, it, it almost doubled basically. You know, I heard this really interesting thing when they were talking about um, the aftermath of our hurricane that was not actually a hurricane uh, that in LAUSD, which is the second largest school district in the mm-hmm. country after New York, 80% of the children in LAUSD are at or below the poverty line. Wow. So what? that tells you um, something about large public school systems across the country, rural and urban, you know, like rural and urban, there are so many kids living at or below the poverty line. And one of the things that they had today because they didn't have school in session because of the flooding was these grab and go stations, which is exactly what it sounds Mm. like the bill is trying to put nationwide um, that parents can come pick up at the, there was like 13 locations around the County to come get these meals. So I, you know, it's just interesting. It's one of these things where like, I feel like in their hearts, Republicans, who have a heart are, uh, are for this, but it's spending all of this is spending, right? Like, so it's kind of this weird thing where it's like, how, as a conservative person, do you prioritize what, um, is, are the things that are going to make the most difference? Because I think anyone would say, yes, we should feed our kids. I think Democrats are saying we should just keep spending money because these are important things. And I think Republicans would say, okay, but is this going to make like the biggest dent? Right. And that's kind of, I feel like the conservative argument against. So Massachusetts has the best rated public school system, Connecticut, number two, New Jersey, number three. Yeah. So just two kind of, or like two points to this. Uh, I think it's according to like the feeding America website, there's Mm -hmm. 9 million kids who face child hunger in our country Mm. and the the biggest issue with this was the summer summer months when kids were not in school right so it was really like july so this bill is for summer meals summer meals Hmm. and once it so the reason i paid well one like scoping the internet it was ripping on the democrats or ripping on the republicans i'm like good good god doesn't anyone have anything 
And then I was like, actually who, did. Yeah. who on this list is maybe talking about dogs or elderly people <laughs> or kids? Elderly. I, I don't know. And I go to when Andy do you Kim, care about the elderly? It's one of the three. I, it's true. I don't. But no. <laughs> That will come back to bite me for sure. Um, We're going to get a lot of angry emails. Yeah. yeah, No, but honestly, the, the, once again, this seems like a common issue. We're like, just approve the funds. Yeah. Right. But I don't think it'll get approved in this Congress to be pessimistic about it. But I Mm. think it's interesting for people to keep talking about. And I think that, um, what needs to happen is pressure needs to be put on people from both sides of the aisle to support something. Mm.